Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Love in the Time of Corona Virus podcast. This is something that I'm calling a slow cast, a slow pod, because it's really very little more than me and a number of my friends ruminating on what is going on in society and the world at the moment. I hope with really interesting results, but it's something to be taken time over, I think this, and and if you're in the mood for something really snappy and tightly edited with banging music, then you might be better going somewhere else just today, at least. For those of you that haven't listened to this before or or who might want me to just reiterate what I'm doing with this, um, about two weeks ago, I started sending a number of friends three simple questions and asking for them to dial in by recording on their phone the answers to me. And those questions were, where are you and who are you with? What good do you think will come out of this mess? And please tell me something really good you've discovered or found again or started doing. Before we kick off today, um, I figured that I would possibly just ramble on a little bit. Um, I'm sitting in my garden in Wales. It's a lovely day, slightly cold breeze, but the sun's out and um, the birds are in pretty good voice. And I realise today, as I do every other day, that I am really just profoundly blessed or profoundly lucky or whatever you might, however you might choose to phrase it. So um, that's something which this, this lockdown has really reiterated to me. I live in a beautiful place, I'm healthy, I have got six healthy children, I've got a great relationship with them and with my wife. I mean, actually, what more could you want? A lot of people always say that I'm optimistic and very positive, and and I am, and I do try to be. And I think really that's the very best weapon that we have against this time specifically, but but hard times generally. I think if if we adopt a positive mindset, I think it really does work. I mean, one of the things that I find interesting is at night when I wake up, which I do pretty much every night, and all of those thoughts start whirling around in my head and and spiraling into a vortex and I start to worry about things that I know deep down I have absolutely no need to worry about. I find the best way to counter that is just to think about some good things that have happened. And we can't control what's going on at the moment in a wider sense, but I think we can control our reaction to this. And I think we do that best by just trying to be positive. I mean, I've often characterized myself as a control freak, and indeed in lots of ways I think I am, and maybe a lot of other entrepreneurs or people who run businesses are, because detail and motivation and momentum are things that really come from being a slight control freak. But in reality, um, I realize now that we just can't be in control of, of anything. I mean, in the wider world, I mean, we, just like we can't be in control of being hit by a bus really or by our parents dying or by becoming ill and so I kind of feel like we might as well just try to be as positive as we can to live in the moment it's kind of to coin that phrase but but to try and be as positive and optimistic as we can my biggest worry recently has been um, about my businesses although I know that worrying is completely pointless um, and that action is all that we can do to change things. And we're going through 
radical transformation in some of the businesses at the moment. Most of my key team are still working. Some are furloughed, um, and I hope you guys are all right if you're furloughed. But what we're trying to do is, is to work at changing our businesses, because I think that all of us are going to have to work harder after this. I'm sure that business will be fine. I mean, there's clearly going to be a downturn, and a lot of people are suffering very badly, and it is completely incumbent on all of us to help those who are in hard times. But, you know, I think more than anything else, um, we just have to believe that business will be fine. It may take a few years, but it will be fine. Um, another thought I've been having is that I know that a number of people have been kind of wanting to have meetings with us recently, and a number of people have been considering visiting their families, and I do strongly feel that we all have a responsibility to society and to everyone else in that society to stay put at the moment as much as we possibly, possibly can. I mean, one of the other things which has crossed my radar, my mental radar recently, is this thing of travel. I, I do drive around a lot, as I've mentioned before. I have bought an electric car in order to try and um, make that more okay but I do also do a huge amount of traveling around the world and flying and, and I, I have been wondering whether I really need to do that because I suppose ultimately what this has taught me or what I'm learning from this and whether I'll continue with that after this lockdown is over I don't know is to question what really matters. I mean, I have been unbelievably busy in the last few years. I remain very busy through this lockdown. I'm very happy in a state of business, of busyness. But, um, um, but all that really matters, as far as I'm concerned, is, um, is our family and our friends and our health. And the legacy that we leave is only to those people, frankly. I mean, you know, when we're wheeled down the aisle, as we all sadly will be, no one's going to go, oh, God, you know, he worked really hard. He, he, he started this amazing this or that. It's just going to be how, how happy and balanced and, and healthy your family are. So think about that. It's legacy. The big wheel is going to keep on turning whatever happens. So let's just get on with it. Anyway, sorry, sorry. I hope you don't mind me rambling on there. My first guest today is the brilliant Tom Hodgkinson, the writer philosopher and editor of The Idler, which he established in 1993 and is thriving today. One of the things that I think we can all do to help small businesses, and culture really, really does matter, is perhaps to subscribe to one or two small magazines or publications that we like during this lockdown. I have got hold of, either been given or bought, every copy of the Idler for some years now. Um, but I have just subscribed because I kind of felt that that would be a useful thing to do, to put a couple of years' money up front. Um, and if, you know, a few hundred of that do it to a magazine like the Idler, um, then that's got to be of massive benefit to us. It's also cheaper to do it that way, of course. Anyway, Tom Hodgkinson is someone that I like and respect enormously. He's been an incredible supporter of the Good Life Experience, and this year he and Victoria Hull, his partner, are going to bring the Idler Academy to the Good Life Experience with a full weekend of entirely free lessons and classes and talks on everything from ballroom dancing and beekeeping to philosophy 
And of course, they're also going to be bringing their famous bookshop. Um, anyway, they've been great supporters of the Good Life Experience and we have worked together when we had our shop in London at Peddlers. Uh, they had lots of events in there. And so I've got to know Tom uh, well over the years. And everything that comes out of Tom's mouth or his pen is entertaining, provocative and worth listening to. So here he is. Hello, Charlie. It's Tom Hodgkinson here. Hope your lockdown's going okay. Thanks very much for your questions. Who, where are you and who are you with? Um, well, right now I'm sitting in my front room with the computer open, looking onto my little terrace street of terrace Victorian houses. I live on a sort of Mr. Ben type street. In the house with me we have Arthur, who's 20. Um, he is back home from university and is spending his time on various entrepreneurial pro projects on the internet. Um, selling stuff from China and whatnot. We have Delilah, who's 17, and that's really sad because her A-levels were cancelled and she's working so hard. So she's sort of adjusting to that. Um, and then Henry's 15 and thinks it's some sort of enormous holiday opportunity to play video games. We have been out for a few family bike rides, which has been really nice. Um, and uh, along the river to Hammersmith, we went down to Richmond Bridge from Shepherd's Bush, where we live. Um, and those moments you sort of think God, this is like uh, something out of William Morris news from nowhere where there's been a nuclear bomb and we've gone into the future and we've created some kind of ideal society if you couldn't see the pain and misery because there's no cars there's everyone on their bicycles people are smiling and happy it was beautiful weather and you think this is just absolutely lovely if I didn't know I was in hell I might be mistaken for thinking I was in heaven so what do we think will come out of all this mess? Um, I really wouldn't like to speculate. Uh, I think everybody's hoping that more of their, more of what they want in life will result. Um, the capitalists are probably thinking, oh, somehow I'm going to make more money. Uh, and the idlerists, like me, are hoping that we're all going to be a little bit more idle. So who knows? But I do think it's probably a fact that a lot of people who are, have been stuck in pretty awful jobs, which is a lot of people probably like at least 30 or 40 percent of the country um what you might call bullshit jobs which feel a bit sort of meaningless um they're going to be at home and they're going to be thinking i don't want to go back to that that nightmare of life of life in the corporation with the kind of um office politics and the uh the scheming and the plotting and the uh the, uh, the swindling that goes on you know um so there might be a, a small section of people probably not huge but a small section of people who will decide they want to be a bit more idle, they want to spend less money, uh, be at home a lot more. I mean, one thing that happens when you're at home is that your outgoings shrink. So most of our money goes on entertainment and particularly travel. Something like some huge percentage of family income goes on travel. So clearly if you're not travelling and you're not going out to cinema, restaurant and so on, um, then you don't need anything like so much money. So I think people might get have a little glimpse of a you know as a little idle enlightenment that's certainly possible um on the downside i think that governments and large corporations are going to become more powerful amazon has coming up to employing its millionth staff member um i mean it is massive because it's so effective and efficient and ruthless you know it's been very useful people find it very useful um and it's in in increasingly difficult to escape it people think Oh well, I don't. I don't use Amazon. So I, I buy my books from Waterstones. Um, well, 
you, you, you probably do use Amazon somewhere along the line. They don't only sell books, they sell everything. Uh, they, they, they pump our TV at us. You know, Jeremy Clarkson works for Amazon. He's a one of Jeff Bezos's courtiers and slaves. And governments uh, may relish the new powers they've had where we've actually been asking them to um, be tougher with us. You know, please, please, I want to be, I want to... A, a country a bit more like North Korea where I'm told what to do and I have to run home and there's a curfew I mean some people enjoy that some people are running out to snitch on their neighbours and stuff so there'll be that element um, and other than that it's incredibly difficult to, to make any predictions um, you know the green movement thinks everyone's going to be more green the, the, um I don't know about restaurants and, you know, Deliveroo thinks it's going to obviously do really well. And, uh, you know, Silicon Valley are obviously going to do, I mean, our, our website visits have practically doubled in a month. Um, well, that doesn't bring us any money, but, you know, Silicon Valley is good at providing free entertainment to people and then making absolutely bazillions of dollars uh, by selling advertising against it. Um, they're, they're not going to be worried at all. What are they doing to help? Uh, nothing. Is there anything I would like to promote? We always like to promote our subscriptions. You know, um, in our case, we our income has been reduced by about a third as a business because we've lost all our events and we've lost our newsstand sales of the magazine, the Idol magazine, which used to be on sale in about 100 Smiths and various other places. Um, and uh, we didn't have much advertising income, so that's not a major issue for us, as it is with lots of magazines and newspapers. But we've lost a lot... Uh, of uh, revenue so we're trying to make it up with subscriptions really um, subscription to the idler I mean it's a lovely thing to have I, obviously I would say that being the editor of the magazine but there are different levels you can just get the magazine which is beautiful book like things six times a year with Michael Palin contributing Virginia Ironside um, interviews with fascinating people lots of practical stuff and um, sort of radical politics as well uh, and you can get that digitally or print but we also have a whole series of online courses these have gone mad recently you know you can learn Latin, learn ukulele learn anything, grow your own vegetables we've got a course on Plato how to write, it, how to get your book published um, anything that we think might enhance lives and the idea is all about enhancing one's own life You know, living a fulfilled life or a good life as the philosophers used to call it so if I've got anything to promote it's uh, you know, get a subscription to, to the magazine. You can cancel them. You're supporting us. Um, it's not an advertising-supported business, so we're not uh, like a sort of a data business or anything like that. As you all know, Facebook uh, is an advertising sales company and Twitter and so on. Um, we live in our subscriptions. So, you know, you, you can get a subscription for 20 quid, 40 quid, 60 quid or 95, depending on the different packages. Um, and that's pretty good value for a, a year's worth of stuff. There's an audio channel as well that you get, and you get all the back issues with some of these subscriptions. So thank you for allowing me to promote that. That's what I'd like to promote. And I'd like everyone to do nothing, save lives, and be idle. Bye. Thank you very much indeed for that, Tom. Um, as those of you who have listened to a few of these podcasts will know, I have been talking about long albums, about those magical double albums uh, that contain 16 or 20 tracks and that require much more work to get into 
than the shorter, more conventional album that we all know and love, which is maybe kind of eight or 10 tracks at the very most. And about, I think it's what, about 20 minutes aside. The double album has become much more common now in the age of the mixtape and digital recording and the lack of the confines of vinyl. But there remain a, a catalogue of really wonderful double albums out there. And I've discussed Bitches Brew and um, ELO's Magnum Opus, Out of the Blue, and um, Sandinista by The Clash, and albums by Aphex Twin, and on and on. And today I wanted to talk about The Suburbs by Arcade Fire, which is a 20-track album and was their third album. And um, perhaps not their most highly acclaimed, although it won Album of the Year at the Grammys um, and the Brits um, in um, 2011, the year that it was released. It is a, it is a really great album. Um, I think it's, it's definitely worth revisiting if you, if you haven't really listened to it much recently or if you've never heard it. In a strange way, I think people were tiring slightly of the Arcade Fire at the time that it came out. Um, it has one of my favourite Arcade Fire songs on it called Ready to Start, which has some of the best lyrics about teenage angst in pop music. It also has the absolutely magnificent Sprawl 2 which is um, a song that I think Blondie would have recorded if they'd done more music like Heart of Glass. Just an absolutely fantastic, fantastic song. Um, the last time I think I saw the Arcade Fire play, I've seen them quite a few times, was at Glastonbury in 2014, I think, maybe 15, uh, where they headlined just above elbow and were absolutely scintillating. Anyway, so I think, you know, give that a listen. Arcade Fire, um, The Suburbs, a great record, 20 tracks, worth investigating. Next up today is Peter Francis, the Reverend Peter Francis, um, uh, a good friend and the warden of Gladstone's Library, Britain's only prime ministerial library and one of Britain's only residential libraries, which was a couple of years ago, nominated as Britain's best wellness retreat by the readers of The Guardian. Peter has appeared on my podcast before and he and I work together regularly. He's a man for whom I have a great deal of admiration. He's, he's a man of the cloth, he's a film buff, he's staggeringly well read, he's always apparently upbeat and um, these are his ruminations. He said to me, maybe it sounded a bit like a sermon. Um, I don't know if that's a bad thing, Peter, but um, here he is. Hi, Charlie. Peter here. Thanks for the questions. I've been appropriately slow in thinking about a response. Where am I? I'm at home in North Wales in the gardens of Gladstone's Library, pretending it's a little hotter than it actually is. And I'm here with Helen, my wife. We are the only people at Gladstone's Library following lockdown. Our task in these weeks or months after lockdown is to look after the place. So acres of mowing, security checks, testing for Legionella, fixing leaks in a rather chuckle brother's manner. I spend a lot of time trying to ensure that this wonderful institution will open again, hoping that we'll have raised enough money in this lockdown period to safeguard its future. I want it to survive. It must survive. But part of that survival is also planning the library's programme for next year. 
I want it to be exciting and provocative. Like your great-great-grandfather, Charlie, I hope we can take an axe to some of the political, cultural, spiritual tangles of our day. And that should be the library's reset button. Lockdown has given us all personal reset buttons, I suppose. Helen and I certainly have new daily rituals. We get up at five each morning. We walk and enjoy the sunrise and dawn chorus. We play a board game or a card game at 12 noon each day. At four in the afternoon, we try to do a bit of decluttering. But our highlight each day is FaceTime with our first grandchild, Rupert, who's not quite four months old. He delights us with his bath time splashing and the startling speed of his development. We so, so miss seeing his milestones in person. We long to reach out to the screen and try and hold him. Of course, I imagine lockdown would give me time to write, to read. I have nearly a thousand pages of Hilary Mantel to get through and I'm only on page 35. I was going to watch every Ingmar Bergman film, but well, you know, oh well. Not tackling Bergman is probably better for my mental health. You ask what good will come out of this mess? Well, I think on a personal level, I, we, will re-emerge having learnt a different rhythm of life, a sense of who and what matters. I wonder if that rejigging, that reset button, can work for our country, our politics, our environment. It's not encouraging, is it? Those who've disproportionately suffered from this virus, the poor, ethnic minorities, the sick. And that's always been the case, whatever, in Britain, in USA and Europe. Economics still matter more than people's lives or the future of our planet to many of our politicians. Can that change? Locally, yes, there seems to be a new neighbourliness. So this moment could, with the right political and moral leadership, be that time of change. In this strange time we're living through, individually we've begun to find new ways, better, more balanced ways of living. It's been a reset button for us. I just hope our politics can change like that too. Thanks for asking, Charlie. Keep safe and keep well and see you soon. Bye. In addition to um, double albums, I've been recommending a few books, mainly novels. It occurred to me, having talked about Nan Shepherd's book on my last edition, that I should mention what I think is one of the most important nature books ever written, which is Isabella Tree's brilliant Wilding. It is um, an astonishingly brave book. It's certainly not perfect. It's contentious. It's often antagonistic. But anyone who's remotely interested in the environment and farming and nature really should read it. It's a story of how she and her husband transformed a number of farms on their estate into a completely wild environment and all the trials, particularly in tribulations, they went through to achieve that. And um, I highly recommend it. It's been lauded. I think I'm right in saying there is a recent new edition with, with a, another chapter at the end on progress, but um, I may be wrong. I, I've got a copy in my hand which says, um, which is Caroline's copy in fact, and it says that it was highly commended for the Wainwright Golden Beer book in association with the National Trust 
Book Prize, rather, an association with the National Trust in 2019. And frankly, that doesn't seem like a particular accolade. I have no idea what the Wainwright Golden Beer Book Prize is, but it should have won, and I probably did, many more significant awards than just being commended for that. It's an absolutely fantastic, I'd say, essential read. Anyway, finally today, we have my daughter, Xanthi. Xanthi is a grower of vegetables, an ardent vegetarian, and a cook, and particularly a baker. And she is also the head of food sustainability across um, a number of our businesses, including our farm shops, our cafes, our pub, and our festival. And she grows vegetables for sale and for guests in Scotland at our Glendike Cabins and Cottages, as well as in Wales for our farm shop. And she cooks um, feasts and dinners in London for her supper club, which is called Knuckle Supper Clubs. And she's just um, had to cancel a 10 evening series at the Ace Hotel. But if you look at the Knuckle website, you will find um, more about future uh, events. Anyway, I'm enormously proud of her. I think she's doing very important work, very valuable work, and, and also, of course, very timious work, given where we find ourselves at the moment. Here are some thoughts from her. Hello, um, it's Anthe here, your daughter. Um, I am a few metres away from you in my greenhouse um, in Harden, North Wales, and we are also with my mother, Caroline, my two sisters, Tara and Kinvara, and my brother, Felix, as well as my two whippets, Luna and Willow. We, we've been on lockdown for three weeks now. We're just waiting to see if we're going to be in lockdown for longer. And I have been spending a lot of time in my greenhouse growing growing probably more than I have space for in the vegetable garden, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, I think what good will come out of coronavirus is that people will see that skills such as bread making, growing your own vegetables, fermenting food, is not only a kind of hobby and middle-class pastime, but it's also essential and we kind of thought we were over the stage where we could, we needed to be self-sufficient. But I think it's taught us that having these skills is really essential and is also really rewarding. So I really hope that people will be more engaged with uh, not only growing their own veg so that they don't have to rely on supermarkets during the time of coronavirus, but also afterwards they'll be more engaged with making things from scratch, having a larder or shelf full of pickling foods um, and just, yeah, being more connected to where people's food comes from and not relying on supermarkets as much. That would be really good. I hope that that could happen in some capacity. Um, yeah, I hope so. Um, I have been baking more than I've ever baked before, which is great learning more from all the various resources about sourdough and I've also taken up embroidery which I used to do a lot um, I did textiles for a level and I'm currently embroidering a 
carrot onto an old grey hoodie of mine. I used to, I find myself when we have film nights or we're watching TV after we've had supper, I find myself sometimes just picking up my phone and scrolling pointlessly through Instagram and not really acknowledging what I'm even doing. So it's really good to have the embroidery for the evenings when I am fidgety. So yeah, that is that is what I've been up to. Um, I would go onto my Instagram, which is just my name, Xanthi Gladstone, to find more about what I've been baking and what I've been making. I've been sharing recipes on my stories as well as on my feed. And I have a good sourdough guide on my profile. I'm also very happy to help people and answer questions about sourdough because I know it can be tricky but I'd love to see people baking more and more people baking um I shall see you later and have a good day and that's it from me today I'll be back very soon with another one of these daily slow pods thank you very much indeed for listening I hope you've enjoyed it thanks Jim my friend Jim Friend for editing. I wanted to play out today with um, one of my favourite ever songs. Just at the end of my um, ponderous rumination at the beginning of this, I said the big wheel keeps on turning. And that reminded me of the hymn of the big wheel from Massive Attack's absolutely seminal first album, Blue Lines. This tune is sung by Horace Andy, um, the veteran reggae singer, and it is him just at his absolute finest. It's so funny to think that Massive Attack's first album was released during another international crisis, um, the first Gulf War. And if you have early copies of this album, as I do, you'll find that they are just known on the sleeve as Massive, because it was deemed that the word attack was inappropriate for the time of the Gulf War. I mean, given Massive Attack's extraordinary legacy and their enduring brilliance and legacy, it seems so spectacularly absurd that that was censored out, as it were, by the record company or the Beeb or whatever. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm waffling. Um, here is Horace Andy and Massive Attack singing the really beautiful hymn of the big wheel. Bye-bye.
from the skies An acid drop of rain Recycling from the sea It washed away my shadow Burnt a hole in me And all the king's men Cannot put it back again But the ghetto sign Will nature lie Another relaxes. 